You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore, Rehoboth. Good to see you guys. What a great service we've had already baptisms and uh let's give the baptism folks a big hand again that was awesome so good to see you guys today we are uh i bring greetings from our millsburg campus and our Fenwick island campus we're doing so good at all those campuses and you guys are just doing amazing as well we're so glad that you're here this morning and for me very special day of course to see nora get baptized my grandkids you know how many love you how many got grandkids you love you grandkids aren't they amazing somebody said that you know Grandkids are God's reward for not killing your kids when they were growing up. You know what I mean? I think that's right. I think that's right. But uh, just love you guys, what you're doing. Uh, volunteers here at this campus are just killing it. You're doing so good. We have the best volunteers here and the best staff here. Uh, Joel is doing an amazing job leading and uh, the team around Joel and Cotter and everybody and Nate. Uh, you guys are just doing a great job. We love you and I'm uh, just grateful for you. Well, I'm thankful I get to be here today and I'm in a series at uh, Millsburg and Femke Island called Christmas Before Jesus. And uh, you think, well, that's like crazy. How can you have Christmas before Jesus? But this series is about the Old Testament, the Old Testament predictions about Jesus coming. You know, the Christmas just didn't happen. Christmas was a process by which God prepared the world for his coming. And uh, there's this guy named um, Alfred Edersheim. He's a really smart guy. He's a scholar. He says that the Jewish people have 400, believe there's 456 Old Testament prophecies predicting that Jesus was coming, that the Messiah was coming. They didn't know it was Jesus, but they have 456 distinct prophecies about the advent of Jesus coming. So this series is about the uh, idea of Christmas before Jesus. In the Old Testament, how the Lord prepared us for the coming of Jesus. Christmas just didn't happen. One of my favorite uh, people, historical people, is Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor, Eleanor Roosevelt, great, great woman. Uh, she was uh, the one that said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Isn't that a good thing? But she had this thing about uh, Christmas. She loved Christmas. She loved Christmas cards. And one of the things that she loved about Christmas was that all during the year, she would collect presents. And she had a Christmas closet. She lived in Hyde Park, New York. Uh, Val Kill is the name of her house. She didn't get along with her mother-in-law too much, so she had her own house away from Franklin and mother-in-law a little bit. That's one way to make her marriage work, I guess. And so she uh, had her own house, and she in this house, Val Kill, I've been to Val Kill, Hyde Park, New York, she had a closet. And in that closet, she called it her Christmas closet. And when she would travel all during the year, she would collect presents for Franklin and different people in her family, and she would put them in that closet. And the week before Christmas, she would open up the closet door, and she would bring out those presents and wrap those presents for Christmas. You know, the Old Testament is God's Christmas closet. He's putting prophecies in place. He's putting scriptures in place to let us know that Jesus is coming and to prepare us for his coming. Now, when Jesus was born, he was born at the perfect time. 
the perfect time in history when Jesus was born. Now, one of the things about when Jesus was born, he was born in a time when the Roman government had filled the empire with roads. The Roman government, the Roman Empire, had decided that they had 113 provinces, and they realized that if they're going to keep order in the Roman Empire and they're going to be able to collect taxes, they needed to have roads throughout the Roman Empire. So if there was any rebellion, they could quickly dispel their armies to go down those roads, and they could dispel and get rid of the rebellion that was at hand. Or they could also collect taxes. So listen. There were 250,000 miles of roads that the Roman Empire had in place. The perfect time for Jesus to be born. Because when the gospel came about and people became Christians, the Apostle Paul would go down those roads and he would share the gospel. In fact, if you look at Acts 16, Acts 17, I have a little Bible study Every other Tuesday morning, 6.30 in the morning, some real dedicated guys come. We study the Bible. We were recently studying Acts 16 and 17, and he went, Paul went from Philippi to Amphipolis to Berea to Thessalonica. He's going down a road called the Via Ignatia, a road that the Roman Empire put in place. So Jesus was born at the time when the interstate system was been invented, and so everybody could travel, and the gospel was easily disseminated. Jesus was born when there was a universal language where everybody spoke the same language. It's called Koine Greek, common Greek. Alexander the Great, how many have ever heard of Alexander the Great? You've heard of that guy? He died in 323 BC. And when he traveled uh, throughout the world conquering the areas that he conquered that eventually became the Roman Empire, he Hellenized all of those areas, which meant that he disseminated the Greek language. When Jesus was born, everybody spoke a common language. Everybody spoke Koinia Greek. So basically, when Paul was going to write his letters and people came to Jesus, and when, when Matthew and Mark and Luke wrote their letters, they didn't have to think, what are we going to write language? What language are we going to write this in? They wrote it in Greek because everybody spoke Greek. So Jesus was born at the perfect time. When the roads were in place, when the languages were in place, Jesus came at a time when people were sick of the Roman gods. They were disillusioned with with, uh, Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite. These gods that were supposed to protect the cities weren't protecting the cities. These gods were ill-tempered, and they were fighting and fussing and committing adultery on each other. And these gods were just a worse version of humanity. And so if you look at the Gospels and you look at When you read the book of Acts, you'll find in all the synagogues that Paul went to, there were these people that were called God-fearers, people that got sick of the Roman gods, and they were looking for something new. So when Jesus was born, he was born at the perfect time in history. But he was also born at the perfect place, at the perfect place. Jesus was born... In Bethlehem. And how many knew that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Just raise your hand. Everybody knew Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Everybody knows where he's born. Now, it says in the Old Testament, there's a scripture in uh, Micah 5, 2. And actually, you say it, Micaiah, not Micah. Micaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, there was this prophet in Israel named Micaiah, and he prophesied where Jesus would be born. 700 years before 
Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. You've seen the scenes. You've seen the movies. 700 years before Jesus was born, in Bethlehem, there was a prophet named Micaiah that said where he was going to be born. Here's what it says, Micah or Micaiah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So Jesus was destined to be born in Bethlehem. Not Jerusalem, not this big fancy place. He was destined to be born in Bethlehem. Now, what do we know about Bethlehem? First thing we know, the prophet said that it's little, small among the clans of Judah. Hey, listen, Bethlehem was podunk, a little podunk city. Bethlehem was not Rehoboth. Bethlehem was not Lewis. Bethlehem was Gumboro. Listen, Bethlehem was tiny and small and insignificant. Scholars say that maybe 2,000 people lived there. You know how many people live in Milton, Delaware, just up the road here? By the way, it's where I had to park this morning on Milton when I got here. <laughs> 3,500 people in Milton. In the, I looked up uh, the, uh, I wanted to find out what the population of Gumboro was. So I looked it up, and you know, they, they wrapped Gumboro into Millsboro now. So Gumboro is really Millsboro, and the Gumboro campus is really a Millsboro campus because it really is a Millsboro address. Gumboro is the start of Millsboro, and it runs all the way to Long Neck, and there's about 31,000 people in that little area of people now. So I couldn't figure out, you know, how many people lived in Gumboro. So I googled Gumboro, Delaware, and because 42 years ago, last week is when Karen and I came to uh, Gumboro, and uh, Joel wasn't born yet. Tim over here, he was just a little baby. We came to Gumboro 42 years ago. How many have ever been to Gumboro? How many have ever been to Gumboro? How many have been through Gumboro? That's where you, you go through Gumboro. You don't go to Gumboro for anything. You go through Gumboro. Well, I, I looked up Gumboro, Delaware, and Wikipedia has an article on Gumboro. Did you know that? Gumboro, Delaware. Wikipedia has an article on Gumboro, and it says not a whole lot. But you know what it does say? Gumber is the home of the large Bayshore Community Church that's bigger than most churches in the area. Isn't that awesome? You know God is moving when you make Wikipedia. But you know God does significant things in insignificant places. God does significant things in insignificant places. God does great things in a basement. A basement. You know, from your history, this little church in the basement, and people come here sometimes, they can't find it. They see the sign, they walk in front of the sub shop, and they don't know how to get down here. I've had people I've invited to church, but I went there, but I couldn't figure out how to get in. They don't see the stairs there. But this little basement... Over 10 years now, you have baptized over 241 people that have been baptized in this little basement. Can you say a big amen? God does significant things in insignificant places. Would you say it with me? God does significant things in insignificant places. 
Do you realize that you guys have raised $700,000 for our land there on Old Landing Road? $700,000. Would you just celebrate that right now? I remember when we were like, oh, Lord, are we going to make it in this little campus? We had board meetings. Should we, should we keep it going? Nobody's coming. Things aren't going too good. And then Joel, the administrator, you know, Joel was an administrator. What he did at our campus was he polished paper clips. I mean, he's very organized, you know. And <laughs> spreadsheets, give that boy a spreadsheet. He feels Jesus all over him with a spreadsheet. <laughs> this campus is tanking. And we're like, what are we going to do? So I said at the meeting one day, I said, I don't know what we're going to do at Rehoboth. It ain't going too good. Does anybody want to go down there? Everybody looked down, nobody looking around. And Joel said, you know, the Lord may be speaking to me. I was shocked as anybody. I didn't see that. Joel is, you know, he's the administrator. You know how funny Joel is? How many like Joel's humor? He wasn't funny growing up at all. I'm here to tell you. He wasn't funny at all. I'm, I, I laugh because he's funny. I can't believe he's funny. But he came down here, and the Lord blessed his leadership. You know, Elton Trueblood says, everything rises and falls on leadership. And we're grateful we have a great leader. Grateful for a great leader. But God does significant things out of insignificant places. Bethlehem was little podunk. Nobody was like Bethlehem. In fact, if you read in the Old Testament, Joshua 15, and there's another place in, I think, Chronicles, where it lists all the important towns of Judah, and Bethlehem is not even mentioned. Not even mentioned. So why did God choose Bethlehem to bring his son into the world? He chose Bethlehem because Bethlehem was insignificant. And God does great things in insignificant places. And God does great things through people that feel insignificant. Maybe you don't feel like you can ever, you know, serve the Lord. You feel like you can't do anything great with your life. Listen, I'm here to tell you that God has a divine plan for every single one of you. You may feel insignificant. You may feel little. You may feel like you're overlooked. You may feel like there's nothing special about you. But because God is in you, you are special. And the Lord wants to do something great through all of us. We all have a purpose we all have a destiny. We all have a, a, a mission that God has called us to. And if you feel insignificant, the Bible says that Jesus says he takes a little uh, a mustard seed, the smallest, most insignificant seed, to grow a great plant to do something great. So God wants to do something significant through you, and God does significant things in insignificant places. Why Bethlehem? Well, Bethlehem was the home of David, King David. You know, there was another famous person born in Bethlehem before Jesus was born there, and uh, it, his name was David. David was the greatest king that Israel had. He conquered the Philistines. He conquered the Moabites. He conquered all of these uh, foreign powers around Israel. He was a great king. But when he, was, uh, when he was chosen, he was just a little shepherd boy that lived in Bethlehem. His father, Jesse, lived in Bethlehem. And, and David's great-grandfather was a guy named Boaz. Boaz, you read in the book of Ruth, Boaz uh, was the son 
of a prostitute named Rahab. You remember the story of Jericho, marching around Jericho? There was a woman in the wall. They put a red you know, uh, 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 marker on her door, and her part of the wall didn't fall down. Her name was Rahab, and she married one of the spies that went in there, and they had a little boy named Boaz. And Boaz became the great-grandfather of David, and Boaz was a big farmer around Bethlehem. And when, when Boaz was... Uh, you know, it, he, he's listed in the genealogies in Matthew chapter 1. You got Rahab, a prostitute, listed in Matthew chapter 1. You got Tamar, a prostitute, listed in chapter 1 of the genealogies. You got another woman that acted like a prostitute. So you got three prostitutes in the genealogies in the book of Matthew. That's what you call Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. You know what I mean. <laughs> I built this whole sermon around that joke right there. You know? <laughs> but Boaz lived in Bethlehem. And he married this woman named Ruth. She was a Moabitess. She was an outsider, which showed that God was going to not only be the God of Israel, he was going to be God of the whole world. And the Bible says that Boaz and Ruth got together, and they had a little... Little boy, Boaz is an old man, Ruth is a younger woman, she's a Moabitess, he's a rich farmer, and he lives in Bethlehem. And one day, uh, they got together, and Ruth was pregnant, and she had a little boy. Her first little boy, born in Bethlehem, his name was Obed, Obed. Then Obed had another boy, and that boy's name was Jesse. And then Jesse had a boy, another boy, another boy, another boy, had seven kids. And his wife said, no more kids. We had enough kids. We're going to lay, lay, name that last one Done. That's the name of that child. <laughs> one day, the, the fire was flickering in the candle and the wine was flowing and he winked at her and, and they got carried away and they had another little boy. And that boy was David born in Bethlehem. And when Samuel the prophet came to anoint a new king of Israel, he went to Jesse's house in Bethlehem. And when he went to Jesse's house in Bethlehem, the Bible says that Jesse brought in all of his seven, you know, first sons, and, and Samuel goes to every son, and, and he said, something's wrong here. This is not the right one. Do you have another child? He said, well, I got this little boy named David. He's out there on the pasture taking care of the sheep he said go get him and they bring David in he's covered in sheep manure and he walks in and Samuel the prophet pours oil on David and anoints him to become king and he becomes a great king and in 2nd Samuel chapter 7 when David is thinking about building the temple the Lord says to David you're not going to build the temple Solomon's going to build the temple but out of your kingdom out of your kingdom David There'll come a king that will reign forever and ever and ever. And so when Jesus was born, he was born in Bethlehem in the very town that David was born in because he's the son of David. He's a descendant of David, and that's an important thing when you think about when Jesus was born, why he was born in Bethlehem. And, he, you know, he wasn't, you know, when he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, Mary was in Nazareth 80 miles away. And so God in his power and his sovereignty tapped Caesar Augustus Octavian on the shoulder 
He said there needs to be a census and a taxation can be more efficient. And so the Bible says that, that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the whole world should be taxed and everybody should go to their hometown. And so Joseph and Mary that are in the wrong place, they're in the wrong place. God in his sovereignty rules over the kings and the emperors of this world. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. I don't, you know, people get all worked up about politics and the election and all that stuff. Let me tell you something. There is a God in the universe that's sovereign in all things. It doesn't matter what happens, what you think is not going to work out. God is sovereign and he's in charge. And whoever thinks they're in charge is not really in charge because he's in charge. Can you say a big amen? amen. And you can rest in your life because he's in charge. And he moved Caesar Augustus and Joseph and Mary go there, and Jesus was born in the town of David. Now, Bethlehem was the right place because Bethlehem means house of bread. That's what it means, house of bread. Bethlehem means that when people are hungry and they need satisfaction, need fulfillment in their life, the Bible says that Jesus was born in the house of bread. And in John chapter 6, it says that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever partakes of me will never hunger and will have eternal life. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread in Bethlehem. How many know that Jesus is the only thing that can really satisfy our soul? Jesus is the only thing that can really satisfy the deepest longing inside of our hearts. Jesus is the only one that can give us the joy that we're meant to have in life. You know, you can try all kinds of things, but if you don't have Jesus, there's something missing. St. Augustine said this in the 5th century, St. Augustine the Great scholar and uh, in North Africa, St. Augustine said, my soul is restless until it finds its rest in you. What was St. Augustine? St. Augustine was a promiscuous womanizer. You know, he, had a, he was a sex addict, basically. If you read about St. Augustine's life, he went from woman to woman to woman he lived with a mistress, and his mother, Monica, prayed for him. She was a Christian. And it didn't matter how many women St. Augustine had before he was St. Augustine, he was empty. And then one day he heard in a garden, he heard the word of the Lord come to his heart. And St. Augustine got down on his knees and he received the Lord. And he later wrote in his confessions, my soul was restless until it finds its rest in you. I was standing in the hospital a few, a few weeks ago, standing at the bed of a millennial that didn't think life was worth living, that had uh, given up hope for life, been through a divorce, been, been through disappointments, been through disappointments vocationally and relationally, didn't feel like life was worth living, and tried to overdose on drugs. And I'm standing there in his bed, and this boy is laying there, and I'm thinking, this boy is, you know, so young, with so much potential, so much hope, so much uh, future in front of him, but didn't feel like life was worth living. But he'd been raised in a system that told him there isn't a God, that God is just a figment of our imagination, that there is no real reason for living, and listening to that in his educational system year after year, he concluded that life wasn't worth living. It doesn't matter if you're Gen Z, doesn't matter if you're Millennial, Gen X, doesn't matter 
You know, if you're a baby boomer, it doesn't matter if you're an elder, it doesn't matter what generation you are, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter how educated you are, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, what really matters in life is that you have a relationship with Jesus, your Lord, and you know him because he's the bread of life. And Jesus was born in the house of bread, and our emptiness can only be satisfied by the Lord himself. Mick Jagger said, can't get no satisfaction and say this when you can't get no you didn't say that very good let's try that again you can't get no satisfaction outside of Jesus you know I you've heard me tell the story I tell the story all the time it's it's really old if you've been around me you've heard it a hundred times so please forgive me I heard about this guy that was uh Wanted to get out of the military, hated it, hated the service, hated being in the military, just hated everything about it. So his plan was to feign insanity, thought they'd kick him out of the military. So what he did, he went around and he grabbed things. And he would grab things at the, at the dining hall like a, a spoon. He'd say, that's not it. He'd grab a, a, a coffee cup, that's not it. And he just went around everywhere saying, that's not it. And they sent him to the psychiatrist's office, and he's walking around the psychiatrist's office, and he's picking up the stapler. That's not it. He's picking up stuff off the, the desk. And finally, the, the psychiatrist, military psychiatrist, gave him a, a discharge, uh, discharge papers, and he handed it to him. He said, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and you go, you go through life, you know, that's not it. That's not working. You know, I, I thought when I, when I finally got this promotion, I'd be happy. I thought when I finally got married, I'd be happy. I thought when I finally got unmarried, I'd be happy. I thought I'd be happy when this happened. Happiness is not a destination or an event. Happiness is a person that you have a relationship with. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so Bethlehem, insignificant place. Bethlehem, the home of David. Bethlehem, the house of bread. And then it says in the prophecy, it says this, uh, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. When the prophet Micaiah gives the explanation of what this, this coming ruler is going to be like, it says that his Origins are from old. It says his origins are from old, from ancient times. Now, what that means in the Hebrew is unmeasurable time. And we get in this little scripture a hint of the eternality of Jesus. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. The book of Colossians says that everything that was created in the world was made by him, and he holds everything together. The one that is born in Bethlehem, did not begin in Bethlehem. He arrived in Bethlehem. Every year, our family, they do this thing, and it's a wonderful thing, and it was started by Joel's grandmother, and uh, a wonderful, wonderful lady, uh, and we just, Heather's grandmom as well. We have a, a birthday cake for Jesus every year, so the kids know what Christmas is about, and it's always a Watergate cake. How many know what a Watergate cake is? You know what a Watergate cake is? Not a good cake, but that's what we use, a Watergate cake. It's, paint, it's got kind of like green icing on it, and we'd have this little birthday cake for Jesus. 
and we would sing happy birthday to Jesus. And I always played the devil's advocate every year with this, and it's such a good thing, but I kind of always had this issue. How many candles do you put on that cake? I mean, sometimes we just put a a candle on there, and I, I just don't know. How many candles do you put on that cake? Well, you could say 2,000 candles. It's been 2,000 years since he was born in Bethlehem, but that's not enough because Bethlehem was not his beginning. Bethlehem was just his arrival. If you put as many candles on that cake as you need to put on that cake, and you could never really put as many candles as you need to put on that cake, the brightness of those candles will be 10,000 brighter, 10,000 times brighter than the sun because he was the eternal son of God. He's always been, always will be, and always is right now. He is the eternal son of God. It says here, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now, I don't, know if you know, I don't know if you believe in the Big Bang, 13.8 billion years ago. People, there's 6,000 years of history in the Old Testament, which I think is wonderful, and we get in Genesis chapter 1 showing that God is behind creation. But I just don't believe that God just started doing things 6,000 years ago. I just think he's the eternal son of God. He's been at work for all of eternity. The 13.8 billion years ago, the Big Bang, the point of singularity in the universe, where Carl Sagan said, you know, where the universe began, and the first thing that happened was a flash of light. 13.8 billion years ago, Carl Sagan was asked, what happened right before? What was going on right before the Big Bang? And Carl Sagan says, I can't go there. Before the Big Bang, before the origins of the universe, when the universe was still hot before it cooled down, God was there. And we're wondering if he can get us through the problems in our family at Christmas time, if he can get us through the problems with our job, if he can get us through the problems with our finances, if he can get us through the problems with our addictions, the God who made everything is inside of you, and the greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Can you say a big amen? Amen. Let's celebrate that together. Amen. whose origins are from old. The Bible says that when John saw Jesus in the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos, his hair was white like wool, showing his wisdom, the eternal wisdom of God. He is an awesome, amazing God. I was, took my walk yesterday and I'm praying and spending time with the Lord, and I'm thanking God for his creation. I'm thanking God for the beauty of the earth. I'm thanking God for his faithfulness to me. And as I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm cognizant of how awesome and how great he is. He is bigger than you can imagine. He's bigger than I can imagine. He's wiser than we can comprehend. He is the eternal Son of God. It says, whose origins are from old. Say it with me. Whose origins are from old. One more time. Whose origins are from old. One more time. From ancient times. He's eternal. So, wrapping this up, we, we get to Matthew. We get to the Christmas story in Matthew. And when we get to Matthew, the wise men or the magi They come from afar, and they come from the east. 
And scholars believe that they came from uh, Babylon, ancient Babylon, which is now Iraq. And if you were to measure from Baghdad to Jerusalem, you would measure 900 miles. So these magi come and they're looking for this king that's supposed to be born. They saw a star rise in the east and they follow the star and they get to Bethlehem or not get to Jerusalem and they ask King Herod, where is he who's born king of the Jews? And so what does he do? He doesn't really know exactly what they're asking. So he calls the chief priest and he calls the, uh, the scribes and the scholars and they come in and Herod says to them, the wise men are standing there and Herod says to the priest and to the, and to the scholars, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They quote Micaiah 5.2. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so as they hear that, Herod says, you go and worship. Tell me where you, when you find him, I'll come and worship him as well, which is uh, not true. And so they go to Bethlehem and they find Jesus based on the word that the scholars of the time knew that Jesus was to be born, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. What's odd about the story is these men traveled 900 miles, 900 miles to come to Bethlehem, and the scribes and the, and the high, high priest and, that knew the word were five miles away from Bethlehem, and we have no record that after they visited with the wise men, after they pulled out Micaiah 5.2, that they went to Bethlehem, although they were five miles away. So you've got one group that came 900 miles, hungry to see the Messiah, and you've got others that are right there, but they didn't go. And I've wondered about that. Why didn't they go? Well, maybe it was like, maybe, maybe it was just theoretical to them. Maybe they just like, they knew about it. They knew what it said in Micaiah. It was just theoretical, just the scripture. It's interesting. But they didn't go. It's like Karen and I went out to eat on Friday. She said, where do you want to eat? I, I said, well, you know, I gave her my thing. She said, we're not going to eat there. So she said, uh, here's where we're going to eat. <laughs> You ever had that happen? You know, where you want to eat? You know, you know, it's futile. Don't say anything. I have no idea. Well, here's where we're going to eat. So we ate at Yellowfin and Long Neck. It's great. Fine. Good. Had a good meal. It was good. Sitting there at Yellowfin. Imagine going to the restaurant. And you go into Yellowfin. And you sit down there. And you look at a menu. And you look at everybody around you eating. And the waitress says, you know, hey, well, what can I get for you? Nothing. No, I'm good. I just want to read the menu. And I want to look around. You mean you don't want anything to eat? Well, no, I'm just going to read the menu. I'm just going to look around. Some people come to church and they like, you know, Joel, he is so funny and he's so good. And I like listening to Joel. And they're reading the menu and looking around. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many know that we're not just supposed to theoreticalize about Jesus, we're supposed to experience Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. And these, these, these uh, scholars and chief priests were right there, so close, but they never went. So close, but they never went. 
Well, maybe they didn't, they didn't go because of Herod. Herod was a wacko. He was crazy. Herod the Great killed two of his sons. He killed his favorite wife, and there's some interesting things about that I wouldn't even tell you. He was a crazy man, and maybe they thought, you know, it's too risky. It's too risky to leave. It's too risky to go. What if Herod sees us going out of Jerusalem toward Bethlehem? He, we could lose our lives. It takes guts. It takes courage to be a follower of Jesus. When I was in high school, I, I started following the Lord when I was a young guy, and I used to wear a cross to high school. And uh, some days, I'd wear it on the outside, bold for my faith. Some days, if I was going to see some cheerleaders or see some guys on the football team, I'd tuck it in. Some days, I'd take a big Bible to school. I had a big Bible, one that had wheels on it. You had to roll it, you know. Some days I took my little Bible, just hid it under my books. You have to have courage to follow Jesus. You've got to come out of the closet. You've got to come out of the closet with people you work with. You've got to come out of the closet with people with the HOA. You've got to come out of the closet. You've got to be bold for the Lord. A number of years ago, a couple years ago, I think, uh, Joel and Tim and uh, Barry, we all went to see a Ravens game, a Thursday night game, and uh, in Baltimore, and they were playing the New York Jets. It was a wintertime, cold, really cold December. I was all dressed up, and I was sitting next to Barry in the game, and Barry said, I didn't say anything the whole fourth quarter because my face was frozen. I couldn't say anything. <laughs> and as we're waiting to get in there, you know, to get into the game, there was these, these guys that were Jets fans, and they had their Jets jerseys on, and the Ravens fans were like yelling at them, cussing at them, throwing Coke cans at them, beer cans and all that. You know, Ravens fans were like, acting like Eagles fans. You know, they were just going crazy, you know. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's courageous to wear your, your Jets jersey. But you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you got to put your Jesus jersey on. you got to put it on at work. Now, you don't need to be obnoxious or weird. You know, I've seen Christians before I wanted to slap. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't have to be weird. You don't have to be obnoxious. But just be real that you're following Jesus. We were at Panera Bread the other day, Karen and I, and uh, I love Panera Bread. When I go to Panera Bread, I always get the chicken teriyaki uh, rice bowl, and when they see me pull up, they get it ready, and I, they come in and hand it to me. And we're getting ready to eat, and there's a young couple, look like millennials, maybe early 30s or so, and Panera Bread, they, they took hands, and they bowed their heads in that restaurant, and they thanked the Lord for their food, and it wasn't one of these little quick prayers. I mean, they just prayed and thanked the Lord. I wanted to go over and give them a high five. Hey, listen, did those guys not go out of Jerusalem because they were afraid? Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed. Well, <clears throat> They didn't go. They didn't respond. He got one group, dusty, tired, hungry for God, traveled 
900 miles, weeks on end. And they finally got and they knelt down in front of the king and they opened their treasures and they worshipped him in Bethlehem. And you got other people just sort of standing on the side. There's this guy named uh, Kenyon Wilson. Kenyon Wilson is a music professor at the University of Tennessee. Uh, a couple of years ago, he had a, uh, he had a music seminar class he was teaching at the University of Tennessee. And he did a little experiment. He had a three-page syllabus. And on the second page of the syllabus, he put a little sentence that said, there's a locker on the third floor, and here's the number of the locker, and here's a combination. And inside of that locker is a $50 bill as a reward. And when he introduced the syllabus, he said, make sure you read the whole syllabus. Make sure you read the whole thing. There's some new things in there this year. Started in September, went all the way. The semester got over December 8th. And he went to the locker, unlocked the locker, got his $50 out, and put it on Facebook. My experiment's done. 700 years before Jesus was born, there's a prophet named Micaiah. He put a code in the syllabus that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And there were those that went and those that worshipped him, there were those that were so close, but they never went. I want to ask you today as we end this service, I'm going to pray for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The Bible says in the book of Romans, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here today and, and you haven't really been following Jesus, you haven't really been serving Jesus, and you're so close, but you've never got out of the town and gone to Bethlehem, that today is a day that you can do that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come down here. We're not going to rub the top of your head. We're not going to do anything weird. But the Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And right where you are in the privacy of your chair, as the Holy Spirit is moving, I want you to call out to the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I have messed up. My life is out of control. I've been serving myself. I'm empty. I'm lonely. I'm not happy because I've made my life about myself and not about you. And just right where you are, say, Lord, come into my life. Make me a new person. Transform me and change me into the image of the Lord. And let's all pray this out loud together right now. Just lift your hands, everyone right here as we end this service. Just lift your hands, the Lord. Say, just say this with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize that you're the eternal Son of God. You're bigger than I can imagine. You're greater than I can comprehend. I call out to you and ask you to be my Lord. Be the bread of my heart. Fill the emptiness in me and fill me with the Spirit of God so I can discover your purpose for my life. And say this out loud, everybody that's a Christ follower, everybody that's becoming a Christ follower, just say this right now. Say, Jesus, you are the Lord of all my life. One more time, Jesus, 
You are the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.